0: Hey Heartbreakers, welcome back to another breakdown bonus episode. This week I am joined by Katie Morton. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist. If you've been following along on the podcast for a while, you know, I tag her stuff in all the time when I'm like, I don't know what I'm talking about, but go check out her stuff. She's like, great. She is here to talk about daddy issues, which is the most annoying term. I know it's like, it's so belittling to somebody that's really serious. So first of all, Katie, welcome. Is there like a better term we could use? Like I wanna be part of redefining this thing that people talk about. And it's kinda like this hot button buzzword. If you could rename daddy issues, What would you recall it? I'd probably call it attachment
1: issues because it's not always just dad. It's girls with guys. And and sure, I mean, we can talk about that because there is something to our relationship with our fathers and our mothers, both, and all of that stuff. But I feel like it is very limiting. And like you said, it's, it's I don't like the connotation. People use it to like, I don't know, put us down. And I don't like that. Because
0: I feel like the, it's thrown around so much. I'm not even sure most people really know what it what people are referring to when they're like, I have daddy issues. What's kind of a broad definition of what that looks like in people's lives?
1: Yeah, if you were going to say somebody, or let's say I was saying, I have daddy issues. That would mean that my father, when I was growing up, wasn't the best caretaker. That could mean that he was inconsistent. Maybe he has a mental illness. Maybe he had an addiction problem. Maybe he worked away from home and he just wasn't around, you know, was abusive in some other way. When something like that happens with our fathers, the term daddy issues is used to describe the way that I as a female then would go out into the world and start romantic relationships with other men as a means of kind of fixing or
0: somehow redoing the relationship I had with my father. You could also flip it on its head and say somebody has mommy issues. Mm -hmm. My question is, so let's say it's, like a man. How would that look different from a woman trying to fix that in her relationships?
1: I think anybody can have daddy or mommy issues. That's why I think the term is so limiting and almost stigmatizing in its own weird way. It depends. So if if a male is interested romantically in males, then it would be the same as we're talking about, like going out looking for romantic partners to kind of fulfill that. But let's say we don't. And so we would engage in friendships with people that would probably share similar traits with our father, even though we might hate our father, we would find ourselves drawn to people because it's comfortable. And I know that's like a shitty thing to say, but like comfort psychologically is something we're drawn to without realizing, even if we know internally, we're like, well, I don't want to be like my mother or my
0: father. You know, I don't want to be around anybody like them. It's still what we're used to, especially with women. When most people think of daddy issues, they think of a woman going out, trying to to recreate that relationship with her father like especially in a show like Euphoria I think Cassie is sort of a picture-perfect example of what that looks like but I also feel like it's pretty sexualized in the media why do you think that is I think it's sexualized because sex sells
1: and I know that's such a generic thing to say but it's really true that wins it's more sensational uh, it doesn't make the news if it's not clickable these yeah. days and so I think making it into more than it really is or I mean it could be there could be a sexual component but that wouldn't necessarily have to be daddy issues that could just be the nature of that relationship you know we could really get into like that could be where we think our worth comes from and like oh I'm just supposed to be a sexual being because women are always sexualized in media and that's what makes me powerful or whatever you know we've internalized I think that's
0: kind of like an issue in and of itself and could be related to daddy issues but not always like if I'm somebody listening to this maybe I haven't even thought that I have some kind of attachment issue with my mom or my dad are there pretty common signs that could show up in somebody's life that maybe they could it could be like a light bulb moment? Like, oh, wait, I do that. Maybe I have attachment issues with my mom or my father. Yeah, definitely. First of all, like just an overarching
1: theme is if you see patterns in your relationships. Now, this could be romantic or non. If you find yourself, like, just consider your closest friends or your last three or four boyfriends or girlfriends. did they tend to have similar traits or did you tend to interact with them in a similar way? Were the fights sometimes the same? Like, let's just be honest. I think we all can say... Sometimes yes. So that's a thing to look out for because patterns as a therapist, that's what we're looking for, like patterns of behavior. A one-off is not something that I would call psychologically significant, but if we find it happening repeatedly, then, and now we'll get into like attachment signs, we can dig into where that's coming from and signs that this is coming from like an attachment wound or we could say anxious attachment, disorganized attachment or avoidant attachment. Those are the three, what I would call like unhealthy attachments, secure being the fourth and the, the good one we should strive for. Um, but signs that that could be like do we find ourselves being really clingy in relationships Mm. if someone doesn't get back to us right away do we automatically think oh my god they're mad at me oh my god what are they mad at me about and we like spin out Mm -hmm. right i I am guilt. I do that sometimes. Um, So there's that, right? Then there's the avoidant type. So that's anxious. Okay. FYI. Then avoidant. And these are just a couple examples. We could really get into it. But avoidant is more like, I am better on my own. I call it toxic independence. We're like, I can't count on anybody but myself. Now, society, for some reason, is like, yay, they support this, which is not healthy because we are social creatures and our nervous system, not to get too nerdy, but it is wired for connection. We're made to be social creatures. We're going to need different levels of social. Socialization, because some of us are more introverted versus extroverted. but well, We all need people, and an avoidant person is like, I don't need anybody, mm, and it's that. <laughs> and you're like, push away. Like we prefer, we prefer to know more about others than they know about us. Yes. So yeah, that's avoidant. And then there's disorganized, which I think is one of the most commonly misunderstood. And it's kind of a push pull. Like when we're in relationships, we're like, I don't want to be in a relationship. This is horrible. And when we're out of relationships, we're like, I'm so lonely. I want to be in a relationship. We're very fickle people will often tell us we're super inconsistent or I don't know, I don't know what to expect from you. People can feel like they don't really know what we're going to do. Um, and so that comes more from the disorganized. Now I know a lot of people out there are like, oh my God, I have like all of those things. That really just speaks to the fact that we have an attachment wound, an attachment issue, and we need to work on it in therapy. I honestly think that if we have any attachment issues, it there are some characters of each and every one. I know that might not be what John Bowlby wanted when he created the attachment styles, but I just, I always have a difficult time thinking people fall in specific buckets and don't have you know various amounts of each
0: yeah or maybe it's like different character traits in the people that we're in relationship with whether it's friendship or romantic that bring out different attachment issues in us like I know growing up I was I would have an anxious attachment with friends because those were the wounds that I had having friends like ghost me And then being really hurt by men as I got older. So then I would be more avoidant. I don't think people are as black and white as we want them to be, even though it would be so much more simple if they would. Yes. What you're saying is if you have an attachment wound, you can see any of these three. It's not like if you have daddy issues, you have an anxious attachment style or disorganized. Gotcha. It really depends on how, almost to your point, it
1: depends on that relationship and what the dynamic was. So if your dad was, you know, um, in and out of your life, sometimes good, sometimes bad, you could have uh, disorganized. Right. We didn't know what one we were going to get. Yeah, well, um, or we could have a dad who was an addict and so it was always kind of tumultuous and so we're more avoidant we're like I can't trust anybody like mm-hmm. I can't have people around because they never show up for me mm-hmm. or anxious would be like oh, my parents went through a nasty divorce and so my dad would be there and it was great and then like then he wasn't accessible and, and my family never talked about emotions so I always felt like it was bad so I was like stuffed you know so we can see how some of these depending on the relationship and also if we talk about like to your point about like friendships some being this way, somebody in that way, feeling anxious, feeling avoidant. It could have to do with the past with your mom or with other relationships, right? I was burned by a boyfriend when I was 18 um, and he cheated. And so that can affect our relationships going forward, right? Because then we we assume well maybe that's our only real experience with love. And we're like, oh well that's what that's that's what's gonna happen then. Hmm. Right. That's all I know. So we're very cautious. And friendships the same like, oh she talked behind my back and then left me or something. So we can be like, oh that's gonna happen again. And you know it's it's part of the reason like our nervous system is wired to protect us right and so we go into fight flight freeze and it's always looking in our environment for any threat so it knows when to go into fight flight freeze mm-hmm. and so essentially relationships make us vulnerable and we can be threatened mm-hmm. so I don't
0: know if that makes sense but that's kind of why yeah. we are aware of it why we like put it on to future relationships no it totally makes sense and um, I mean this is something me and a lot of my close friends have been very self-aware about I'm like very proud of my friends. I'm like, yes, we we have issues. And so we've chosen to go to therapy. But if I'm somebody who's never even thought about maybe talking to a professional, maybe I didn't even know until this podcast that I had attachment issues. And now I'm like, okay, logical answer. I should go to therapy and work on this. How do therapists typically tackle these issues is it going back and looking at your childhood um i've seen you talk about something called emdr what are what are different ways that mental health professionals tackle this issue yeah it depends on the person um and what you're comfortable with so
1: if you go to a therapist i just want to put that out there and you're like you start working with them and you just don't feel any better. You're like, I've been going for like three, four months. You know, this isn't getting any better. It might be the wrong modality. That's the term we use for like different styles of therapy. You might just need a different style. So there are a ton of options to your point. One way we can tackle it would be through traditional talk therapy. And that really means I, I talk through the issues that are coming up present or past. It's kind of up to what we think is the most beneficial. And we work on behavioral change, meaning that If I find myself, um, I'll give a personal example. So like back, I had a really nasty boyfriend in high school and it was just a toxic relationship in general. And my therapist was like, I want you to be uncomfortable when you date next because comfortable is going to be like, you know, jerkwad before. I was like, OK, this sounds horrible. And it was. But her point, like I did my best to like if I dated somebody and I didn't feel like, oh, I have to have them. This is going to be great. That was good. That was supposed to be like, yay, good job. <laughs> I supposed to go on another date, even if I thought they were kind of boring. You know, it was things like that. And that's that behavioral change. I'm trying to break that pattern. Or maybe if I don't like to communicate about things, I push myself to talk a little more. So talk therapy kind of encourages that and gives you homework and assignments and things you can try to do to better tomorrow. Mm. Now, if talking through things, you're like, I don't even have any memory of those things. If I go in the past, it's like, boop, or it's too overwhelming. I dissociate, right? Removal from self. You're like, this is overwhelming to my system. That's where things like EMDR come in because you don't have to talk through all of the details for that maybe trauma memory or just upsetting memory for it to be processed and to kind of go away and not be so triggering. And EMDR stands for eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing, which is a fancy way of saying left to right. We either tap on shoulders, we follow something, buzzers and hands. And it's, you know, when you get REM sleep and your eyes go, Yeah. the belief is that that gives your brain another chance to process. And I'm personally trying it in my own therapy right now. I've never done it. I'll report back. It's very interesting so far. It can be exhausting though. So there's that. And then, you know, there's, I do love inner child work. And I think a lot of it, the reason I love it so much is because it can be so healing because younger us often didn't feel heard or understood. And going back to a younger version of yourself, it doesn't have to be a child. It could be teenage you. Um, but going back during a tumultuous time and writing letters to and from yourself can help you feel more heard and understood and maybe offer some of that support that you didn't get so that then, and this can sound real therapy-ish, I'm sorry, but then we're not acting out of that past self, meaning I'm not taking those old ways of being and doing it still now
0: it's yeah like, it's tons of ways it's yeah. sort of like is re-parenting yourself like the right way mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Raise it, yeah it's sort of like you know you have like this little kid inside of you and you know your parents were trying to teach you how to behave properly in public and now it's like you having to do the work but like 20 years later the example you brought out about being uncomfortable on dates was really interesting because i'm in that phase of my life where Um, I feel like I've had to push past my avoidant attachment style by being uncomfortable on dates. For me, a way like a lot of my attachment wounds would pop up is if I was pretty confident I didn't want to go out with the guy again, I would sort of like shut down on the date so he wouldn't get attached. I'm very proud of myself because I am actually going on a second date with a guy tonight where I I told myself not to do it. I said I'm gonna give it a second try and and see if it feels comfortable getting close to someone. And that's what I've been working on. So I thought it was funny that you brought that up too. I'm like, oh no yeah. one other thing that's been coming up in in me and my friends' lives when we talk about like our parental wounds is we're we're trying to figure out how to like heal that relationship with our parents while we're doing our own self work. Can you talk a little bit about like healthy ways to go about communicating that you're working through those issues with your parents and, you know, be more proactive about like wanting to be a part of the solution with a healthy relationship with your parent moving forward? Yeah. And it's really tricky. I want to put out
1: there first that like we can't control other people. So like, if your parents want to continue being the way that they've been, we can't improve that. Mm. And so don't think that, and I'm saying this as much to myself as I've done things in the past as anybody else, but don't think that you can act in some kind of way to get them to act differently. That's manipulation. That's where people pleasing comes into play and withholding, stonewalling, all the things we can do to think like, well, if I put this ultimatum down, then they'll do that. No that doesn't really it may be short term but not long term with that in mind we can only control ourselves mm-hmm. you know the ways that we can change the dynamic of the relationship is it how we engage with them so if we're upset about something they said, maybe normally we would stuff it down and like explode later at Christmas or or not at all. And just like shit talk to somebody else, right? About that. Maybe instead of doing that, because that's our pattern of behavior, we're going to try to communicate. So maybe when our mom says comments on our weight, we mm-hmm. say, hey, mom, I really wish you wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes me really uncomfortable. And then here, so now we're going to place a boundary. Now, boundaries are not requests. I just did a request. I said, I wish you wouldn't do that. Right. I wish you wouldn't talk about that or mention my weight or comment on my lifestyle like it's not acceptable or whatever. Right. OK. So we've, we've put in a request. Mom can or cannot abide by that. But the boundary is if you keep doing that, I'm not going to be able to come around as often mm. or I'm not going to call you as often or I'm not going to enjoy our conversations. Right. We can say whatever it is, but it's good if it's an action. It's best if it's an action that we take, because then that's the boundary. Right. So if we wanna change the dynamic, we're gonna to have to change ourselves and the ways that we interact. And I think the first step of that, cause a lot of us are like, well, how am I gonna do that? The first step is usually figuring out what those patterns are. Like if it's not okay to talk about emotions, we start doing that. Mm-hmm. If that's poo-pooed or shoved down, then we place a boundary. Mm-hmm. Do you see, and I know it's uncomfortable. That I always like, I don't know why this is my favorite analogy and maybe we'll love it, maybe we'll hate it, but I love the thought of the family dance, right? So imagine you like walk into a room and your family's there and polka music is playing and they do the polka and that's the dance you've been doing since you were born. You know, the polka really well, but then you're coming into the room and you're changing the music and you're like, now we're doing the Macarena. People are like, is that still a thing? Wasn't that in the nineties? I don't even remember what that is. Right. And so they're going to step on toes. You're going to bump into each other. It's going to be really uncomfortable. People don't know the steps. And so be patient with the process. Give your family time to adjust because you're kind of throwing a wrench in it in a good way but any change is hard and so i always like that family dance time like thought because i'm like yeah like if someone came and changed the music you're like wait it takes you a minute to get
0: the beat again and so give them a chance to get the beat (laughs) no i think that's a great analogy because i think something that i've talked about in therapy is like when you draw a boundary or when you communicate something that you've experienced it's nine times out of ten never really met with like wow I never knew you felt that way. I'm gonna make a change. Yeah. Wouldn't it be amazing if it was? God. I mean it would put you guys out of business, which would suck, but, it, but it'd it be amazing. Bad. Yeah, yeah. I would uh, love to not be needed. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It can make you feel like you're the problem and then on the outside you're being told you're the problem and it can just like really end up like building building up all that tension and resentment but I do think at least I've seen in like me and my friend's lives a lot of our parental figures um have wanted to become more of an active participant in being the solution and like healing that family dynamic so like if I'm a parent right now and I'm listening to this and I'm thinking wow I think I might have actually caused some trauma to my child how can they be? active participants in that and being a part of the solution with
1: being a parent. First, I just want to normalize the fact that we all do our best with what we have and it's even just blaming parents is not meant to demonize anybody. We've all got our issues, right? And all we can do is work forward. So if you think, oh man, I really messed that up. I like, my daughter came to me and I should have communicated with her more, but I like shut her down because I was tired or whatever. The best thing we can do is acknowledge the mistake openly. I know people get afraid to talk to their kids and like admit fault, but we're all human. We all make mistakes. And the best thing we can do, even if they're younger, like Eight-year-olds understand. Like, I know people are afraid to talk to them about big issues, but trust me, even at like looking back at little Katie, like she knew more about what was going on than her parents told her. We always do. We hear arguing. We want, you know, we notice, oh, grandma was over and something was up and, you know, we're very intuitive. And so it's better for you to tell your child than to have them try to guess. So over communication, let them know, hey, um, I feel like I did this thing, whatever it is. Let's give the example of like, you tried to talk to me and I shut you down. So you could say you know a couple weeks ago you tried to come to me and you were talking about a friend at school and i i didn't give you enough time i was really tired and i'm sorry right we don't need to say i'm so sorry that you felt that way that's not an apology just own up to it say what you did and say i'm sorry and then then we have to improve and change our behavior right so make time for conversations if there are things that you're wanting to like let's say we're wanting more communication more emotional expression check in on that. Kids, it depends on what age they are. If they're teenagers, they're not going to want to, but at least let them know you're there and check in. Hey, I'm, you know, I, I'm here for you if you're going through anything like this. If you ever want to talk about that, I'm here. I know you went through a breakup. I, I know mom might not be the best or dad might, but I'm, I'm here. And I think it's just those check-ins and letting them know that you're there and then being there. Like if they do reach out, we need to listen. And I think As parents, the best thing we can do is listen to learn. Mm -hmm. I know we want to listen to fix, but that does not help anything. Kids don't come to you for answers all the time. I know they don't have the answers. We think we do when we're kids, but we don't. But we just have to hold and listen and let them teach you about what they're going through and teach you about their experience. I know you're like, I went through it too, but you're two different humans. Mm -hmm. Let them teach you, listen, and then you can even ask, do you want any advice or do you just want me to sit with you because that must have been really hard right we can empathize that sounds really hard if they say yeah i wouldn't mind some advice then we can offer it mm-hmm. but i really think as parents the best thing we can do is admit when we're wrong and say sorry that's a great way to demonstrate that to your child so that then they go out into the world and feel okay apologizing and being wrong and then making time and space for real conversations um you know whether it's like over dinner or it's in the evening you know I know we all get tired, but that's really important.
0: Yeah, I think that's really great advice because like what you said earlier about inner child work with your younger self, a lot of times when you're a kid, you feel kind of brushed off or like not heard. And so it's so like healing and validating as an adult, if your parent does choose to stay in your life, to be able to get that kind of acknowledgement, even if it's, you know, 20 years later. And so I think that would be really if there's any parents listening that feel like maybe they've been a part of that or... Uh, Maybe people who will become parents one day. Getting to hear that I think is super important. Couple last questions I want to ask. Are there any common issues or? Patterns um, that you see people with these attachment issues come in with who experience wounds from their their mom or their dad. Is there anything that you don't really see talked about a lot in like social media therapy that a lot of patients go through that's not talked about a lot? Yes, one that
1: comes to mind right away. Oh, there's a couple, but the first one is sexual dysfunction. Mm -hmm. I think it's because people get uncomfortable talking about sex, but it's an important part of our life, and so. I think if you're struggling with your sex life, if you struggle to have the lights on, if someone touching you makes you uncomfortable, if you feel like if you... Because there's variations, right? And I've seen people who... Especially with attachment issues, we can, and if we were sexually abused, even more so, but we can feel like, oh, I'm taking control of my sexuality. We can be hypersexualized mm-hmm. and think that that's our way to heal, or we can be cut off and like, I don't even enjoy sex. That's not a part of my life. I don't want to engage with that. And either way, either extreme to me is always a, a red flag, like an indicator, because it's a, a, I always call those like overreactions. And overreaction is not a bad word. I know we use it as a bad word, but it's, as a therapist, it's helpful it's like oh it's an indicator of what we need to work on if we find dysfunction in our sex life that would to me is something that that should be talked about and should be addressed yes i know we're uncomfortable with it but if we want to have it we should practice talking about it a little bit there's that and then i think uh i mean there i could really get into like eating disorders and self-injury i feel like if anything is if you're coping Mm -hmm. in some in some way that's not helpful in your life and i'm going to name a few just to help people maybe draw it out if you shop a lot for things you don't need hmm. if you find yourself I mean we could do talk about addiction like gambling, alcohol, uh, drugs and I'm not saying I know when I say addiction, yes there are, some of us have like a really strong addiction and we're using more and more of a thing. but for a lot of people if you're trying to numb out at night every night by you know, I don't know smoking pot, doing any kind of drug, drinking, ev- like just be aware and acknowledge or think about am I just trying to numb out because I'm uncomfortable? pay attention to that um, and then like self-injury eating disorder now eating disorder behavior we often think of as just restriction but this can mean we over exercise and punish ourselves for eating this can mean binging and purging this can mean just binging any kind of thing where we're being weird about food, meaning is it different than the people around us? And do we spend most of our brain space thinking about food Mm -hmm. or exercise? So if you see any of those things kind of cropping up or they've been going on for a long time, I feel like those are all indicators that we do have some kind of past issue that's affecting us currently. And we don't, we're trying to cope. Mm.
0: I want to dive in a little bit more to what you said about dysfunction in your sex life. As like hookup culture and stuff has become more prevalent in our society, I think the lines can kind of get blurred as to, like, what's sexually empowering and what's me using my sex life as a form of coping. How do you determine, like, which is which? Like, if you someone's coming in and they're sleeping with a new partner every single night, like, how would you determine whether or not that was, like, an empowering part of their sex life versus a way of coping? I think the,
1: the thing for me would be checking in emotionally. Mm-hmm. And if even me saying that makes you, like, your skin crawl, you're like, no, that would be an indicator also for engaging impulsively and in risky type of situations. And what I mean by that is I had a patient years and years ago. I'll give kind of a rough example. Let's say, um, she had a really stressful day at work. She'd come home and then all of a sudden she'd be like, I'm going to go out and meet a guy. And mm-hmm. it wasn't that she wanted that. It was because she was stressed and she had like a bad day. Mm-hmm. So that was her way of coping. So kind of look again for those patterns. Are there patterns to your hookups? There's nothing wrong with casual sex. And I would never be a person to say like, that's not appropriate. Like, what year is this? What's happening? You know, it's not, yeah. that's not what I mean. But if we're doing it as a way again just like we would use eating disorder behavior self-injury we'd over shop over drink are we doing that to cope with how we feel Mm -hmm. so just check and i know that can be hard to do on our own but that's why it can be helpful to have a therapist to kind of bounce this idea off of hey you know i do enjoy casual sex and i've I've, you know i hook up with a couple of different guys every week and i felt like that was fine but i want to check in on that right um you know you want a sex positive therapist make sure that you know, if they can't hang with you, then that then I'd see somebody else. So that's a good indicator. And then the risky part, right? So if it feels a little scary and we don't really know this person and it could be dangerous and if they fight using protection or doing things that would keep you safe, like that's a little worrisome too. And I know people engage in like, you know, S&M and different types of bondage and things like that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like actual Like risk. This isn't controlled with safe words. This isn't any kind of that part of the sex culture. Just notice if those things are happening. Is there
0: anything we haven't covered that you think is really important for us to mention or talk about just regarding attachment issues? Not really. I feel like we're pretty thorough. Yeah, I think you did a great job. It, there's so much we
1: could get into with it. I know you it was very good, but I feel like it it covered what daddy issues
0: are, how they can present what that term kind of means. No, that was everything. You did good. Okay, thank great. you. So I know you have a a workshop or a live seminar coming up about attachment issues. Yeah, at the end of July, I'm hosting an attachment workshop. Um, let me, the fr- the days,
1: it's Fridays. It's Friday, July 21st, and the 28th. They're two hours a piece. It will be recorded. So if you can't access it live, you can access it later. But it'll be four hours of a workshop on attachment with downloadable worksheets and homework to do in between the sessions. So we can kind of gauge where we are, what it feels like, and how we can work toward a, health, a secure or healthy attachment. Because the thing that people don't always often talk about is that we can heal and you can grow to have a secure attachment in your relationships. We often just don't know how, right?
0: Perfect. Well, I'll get all those details from you and I'll link it in this episode description so people can sign up. And if they want to hop on board with you, they can do that because I think you're great at what you do. You did an amazing job um, explaining this like really, really sticky issue. And it's something that so many people go through. People don't realize that they probably have some kind of attachment issue from maybe a different relationship. So thank you so much for coming on and, and chat with me about this. Of course. Thanks for having me.